Welcome, everybody. Um, I want to share a funny story with you this morning. I, uh, I was given a, a, a cup by a friend of mine that I had the privilege of baptizing this spring. And I was also given the same coffee mug by my mother recently. And on the coffee mug, it says the same thing. So now I have one for my office and one for home. It says, be careful or you might wind up in my sermon. And uh, I, I can't help but wonder if people that are close to me, actually, I know my kids do, and I'm pretty sure my mom does too, worry that uh, something they're going to say or something that they're going to do or something they've done is going to wind up as one of dad's sermon examples. So um, to my family and friends this morning, I want you to know it's not just you that I do this to. This morning, I'm going to do it to my neighbor. Um, that could be her in the back right now. Um, Joan and I have lived in the, blessed to live in the same house for 25 years now. We've raised our kids there. It is our home. We love it. We love the neighborhood. Um, and one of the things about our house is that it has always had a fenced-in backyard which when you have a dog is a huge blessing. The house, when we bought it 25 years ago, had a pool in the backyard, which we didn't really want, but you know, it was there and we liked everything else about the house. I will make a pause here. There is no greater money pit than a 35-year-old pool in your backyard. So if you can avoid that, you should. But we've always had a fence because we had a pool and as you all know, you have to have one. 10, 12 years ago or so, um, most of our backyard, we live in a, a community called Nestling Woods. Most of our backyard was woods, and so we decided to reclaim some of the yard. So we cut a lot of the trees down, which meant we had to expand the fence around the, the property line. And so on the areas of the, uh, the house that faced the, the neighbor's driveway or the side street, we put like the nice white vinyl fence, right? Number one, it, it looks nice. Um, and number two, this way we, we don't have to see our neighbors parked in the car while we're sitting at the, parked in our driveway while we're sitting at the pool. On the other areas of the house though, that faced the woods and kind of the open green area, we put up one of those black vinyl chain link fences, you know? And the, the goal of the black vinyl chain link fence uh, 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 against the woods was because it kind of blended in. Like when you looked at it from a distance, you couldn't even see the fence. You just saw all the woods around it so you could enjoy the view. That was all well and good, and, and we enjoyed it, that view, for quite, quite uh, a, a few years until my new neighbor moved in. This guy, I have no idea who the heck this guy thinks he is. I actually do. He, he's a nice young guy with a nice young family. But somehow he thinks he has the right to, to, to also put up a fence around his backyard. Can you imagine this? Right? And so this guy moves in and he puts up a black vinyl chain link fence right next to my black vinyl chain link fence. And then not only does he do that, he does two other things which I'm still struggling with. The first is, he doesn't tie his fence, you know, the shared property line? He doesn't tie his fence into my fence. No, no, no. He puts his fence right up next to my fence. And then he buys a fence that's two feet higher than my fence. Right? And so, so no longer do, does my fence just, you know, the, the woods just kind of disappear in, into the fence and the view. Now, um, I can show you a little bit of a picture with this. Now it kind of looks like a double insulated prison yard minus the, the barbed wire, right? Like that's what I, I'm looking at most of the time. 
Now, I, I know that fences have uh, lots of purposes, right? And since I have a pool, I know that my neighbor and I have a shared purpose for our fence, which is to keep kids, and he has two young kids, to keep his two really sweet cute kids out of my pool. That's what a good fence does, right? It, it keeps what's yours kind of in and safe within its bounds. It, it protects, it, it keeps what's bad out, right, away. Um, in this example of my neighborhood, right, for my neighbor, it keeps my dog Moose and his publicly dropped doggy diamonds, right, out of that guy's yard. It, it keeps the bad out, the dangerous elements on the other side of the fence. Now, here's the interesting thing about our fence line. It's become a little bit of a neighborhood talking point, a little bit of a joke when some of the guys get, got, get together. Since my neighbor didn't tie his fence into our fence, right, it makes you realize one needs to think about where we put fences. If you've ever put a, a fence up, if you've ever put a boundary of some kind up, right, especially if you're gonna do a fence, you know that you don't actually put the fence right on your property line. You set up the fence, the boundary kind of inside of your property line, right? In the, in the safe zone, you wanna make sure that you don't go onto somebody else's property, right? You don't want to, we set up boundaries in areas in the safe part of the area. You don't want to get too close to the areas that aren't safe, or in this case, for a fence that aren't mine. And since I set up my fence in my yard, about a foot, a foot and a half inside my property line, and, and since my neighbor didn't tie into my fence, but instead he built that monstrosity, and I, I'm joking because it's, it's a neighborhood joke that, that we talk about. Since he set up his fence about a foot and a half into his property line or so, guess what we created? This is what we've created here. This. That's, that's what we have right now, right? It's kind of no man's land. The other neighbors laughingly refer to it as the DMZ, the, the demilitarized zone that separates North and South Korea, right? Now, here's what's interesting about our little DMZ, right? Since fence, fences, right, boundaries exist. When you see the fence, you know it shows you whose is whose, right? Whose yard is whose? Who's, in a sense, responsible for what? The DMZ strip, the DMZ strip in our neighborhood is kind of the place where chaos reigns. I don't know whose it is. I don't really know who's responsible for it. I don't even know what's actually in that, that area anymore. I mean, I do a little bit. I, I, as you can see, I put my big ladder in the DMZ. Now, yeah, I don't think my neighbor watches online, so I'll, I'll share a couple of other things. Uh, when I empty the grease pan from my grill, I dump it over the fence in the DMZ. <laughs> when I do a poop walk in the yard, I toss some of my findings over the fence into the DMZ. When, when I have to figure out a place to put some of my pool chemicals, I sometimes they make their way into the DMZ. Nobody mows it, nobody fertilizes it, well, except for Moose's contributions. You don't wanna, you don't wanna accidentally walk through the DMZ. You don't know what you might step in, right? Nobody knows whose who's it is, nobody takes any responsibility for it. And since there is no one in control of it, it's just a mess. Chaos reigns in that strip of land. Why do I tell you this story? Well, not just because it impacts my visuals and my property values. 
I tell you about it because as I thought about this new series we're entering into, I thought about our lives and, and this concept of boundaries that I want to talk to you about over the coming weeks and, and how we so desperately need them, right, in our lives. My neighbor and I, our fences provide what I think is almost a perfect example of a, of a lot of things. I'll explain it in a moment. Last year during um, one of the series, I don't remember which one it was, I must have touched a nerve because I had several people week after week come up, make an appointment, phone call, email, and they began to ask questions. Pastor John, I have a question about uh, my relationship with a difficult person. I have a, a question about a, a relationship with my spouse or with my in-laws. I'm struggling with my kid. I don't remember the series, but, but I know how quickly those kind of boundary, relational, dysfunctional questions come up, especially for believers, especially for believers. I, I think as Christians, we struggle with boundaries more than any other kind of subset of people ever, right? Not just, not just because of, of families and friends, not just with boundaries with acquaintances, um, but Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to love everyone always. And by everyone always, he doesn't just mean our families and our friends and our acquaintances, it's even people like our enemies. One time, this is a big ask, one time Jesus keeps saying, you, you should forgive as you've been forgiven. And, and so one time somebody comes up and asks them a boundary question about forgiveness. Anybody remember that in the scriptures, if you know the scriptures? How many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus comes up with this preposterous answer. 70 times seven. Almost like, you know, essentially saying there is no end to the amount of forgiveness which you must display, right? And so when I get up here every week and I preach to you the message of love, and I hope I do a good job about that week after week, that our calling card is love. That should be what we're known for. We, if you listen to it every week, because you are involved in dysfunctional relationships in your life, and that's because you're a human being and all of us have them. If you don't, you might be the dysfunctional person in somebody's um, relationship, <laughs> right? You're sitting there going, I don't have any dysfunctional relationships. <laughs> it causes us to begin to ask boundary questions, right? Now let's be perfectly honest, right? Most of us in our community, in this community, in Chester and Randolph and Mendham and Long Valley, these are hard-charging, char high-achieving, we-will-knock-it-out-and-get-it-done communities, right? And because that's where we live and that's who we are, where was I? I was just out of town recently in, in some community way outside of the Northeast here. And people are just like so slow, right? And you're like, could you please move? Like, I never have that experience here. Here it's like somebody's driving right, right up behind you, like in everything. We, because of this is who we are and this is how we live, just in, in everyday English, we suck at boundaries. We're not good at them. We, 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 we don't like putting them down almost anywhere, right? And then you come along and you add faith, our faith to it, and, and Jesus' command to love everyone always, and it's like, how do I do this? Look, I, I want to read a story of, of some of your lives, uh, and it's based on, well, it's based on experience. You get up at the crack of dawn, you try and grab a few minutes for yourself. I don't know what your routine is. Everybody's got their own. Maybe you try to grab a few minutes of the Today Show, right? Or... 
or you, you want to kind of spend some time with, with the Lord or, or center yourself, quiet yourself. So you try to grab, you know, a few minutes of quiet time, 15 minutes. Maybe that's what you can spare. You got to get the kids up. They don't get up easy. And you got to get them dressed, make them at least presentable. Come back downstairs after arguing with the kids because they don't want to get up. And then you got to make them their breakfast, right? Somebody messes up the timeline somewhere. And so in that ridiculously compressed few minutes, somebody screwed it up. And so now everybody misses the bus. And I know what happens in my house when everybody missed the bus. Dad is very loving. My kids used to say, just don't miss the bus. Don't miss the bus. Because when you miss the bus, now what happens? Now I got to drive you to school, and I'll have a lot of time because I got to get to work, right? So some, now somebody misses the bus, and somehow you now need to go get showered and dressed and, and, and ready for work, and then you got to drive somebody to school. And so you get them there, they're late again, and you pull up, and depending if you're, if you're, if you're a, a woman, you might be trying to put your makeup on in the rearview mirror, you know, as you're, as you're pulling up, or if you're a guy, clean up the coffee you spilled on your pants, and... And after receiving the judgmental look from dropping your kid off late at school again, right, you, you get back into the car and you race down towards the train station. You've got to find a place to park, to, to get on the Morris-Essex line, because you've got an hour, hour and a half commute to work. On the way to work, there's no time for really doing any, any decompressing because you've got your computer open. You're trying to nail down the last pieces of the presentation that you have for a, a board meeting that morning. It, it's something that could have been and, and should have been ready for days, but, I mean, let's be real. There wasn't really time to get any of that done. You get to work, right? You get there. You find out the project you asked your team to have completed for you in preparation of this. It's, it's riddled with mistakes. There's typos everywhere. It's going to make you look silly. They, they have not held up their end of the bargain. And then your boss comes as you're all stressed out at your team. Your boss comes and tells you, hey, they just moved the board meeting. It's not going to be at 9.30. It's been moved to 4.30, which now means that somebody's going to have to pick up the kids from school and get them to their games slash practice slash tutors slash dance class slash private lessons. You get home as the sun is beginning to set to find your neighbor waiting in the driveway for you because her and her husband have had yet another fight, and you're the only one that she can talk to. You talk her off the cliff, head back into the house, and you're greeted by the same question you're greeted with every night. Not how was your day? Not what, need, what could I do to help get some things done around here? What's the same question you're greeted with every night? What's for dinner? The male husband equivalent of this story is coming home to your wife who's been sitting around with babbling children all day, just waiting for you to come home and have one adult conversation in the day. And you walk in and she just wants to talk and you just want to go to the couch. But the phone rings and it's your mom. And she says she misses the kids and insinuates that it's been weeks since you brought her grandchildren to see her. And she wants to know if when you're bringing them over tomorrow, if you wouldn't mind picking her prescriptions up. You get off the phone with your mom, the, the door just opens, just flings open. There's no knock at the door. And it's your mother-in-law. She pops in because she called earlier. And since you weren't home, she didn't want the kids to go hungry, which, of course, she makes sure that, she, that you know her concern about her grandchildren going hungry. You get a text from your boss asking you to make changes to the presentation you made, have them ready by the morning. He always does that. It's like no off time for him. You sit down with the kids after dinner and dishes, and you do their homework. They say something about they don't do math like that anymore. There's something called new math, which makes no sense to you. 
They're not trying, you are now crying. Your wife tells you to stop yelling at the kids. You look over, the dog's throwing up on the living room carpet. The landline, which never rings, is ringing and leaving a message reminding you that the shutoff date for the electric bill you forgot to pay is the following Tuesday. You get the kids to bed, combination of guilt and worry begins to creep in about the fact that you didn't collect their phones again like you said you would. You didn't do the devotions that you said you promised you were going to start doing them this week. You slink down the stairs, you make the 10,000th school lunch of your lifetime. You realize you forgot to get cold cuts, so you're hoping peanut butter and jelly will do, but you realize that could trigger a peanut allergy alarm in the lunchroom the next day, but you have no choice. You slink up the stairs, you stare at your spouse who's already asleep and snoring in the bed. You realize you haven't had any time with each other alone in weeks. Intimacy is like a distant memory. You doze off to sleep with all of the coming reward of getting to do it all again tomorrow. And tomorrow is Tuesday. Does this sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> and then you come to church on Sunday and you just want to relax. And Pastor John gets up and says, do you realize what hangs in the balance if you don't volunteer to bring the kingdom of God to your community? You need to get in a small group. And this is our lives, right? I mean, to varying degrees, it's all of our lives. And the reason is actually, this is the amazing part, it's so easily diagnosable. The reason is, it's a boundary problem. And since this is, that story comes easy because it was for many years my life, and to, to one degree or another still is my life, right? And since I had so many people coming up to me last year and asking me, like, how much is too much? When is enough? I decided last year that when the new year kicked off this church year, I was going to take a look at the biblical concept of boundaries in our lives. What, what are we missing? And what I discovered, and I didn't realize it until I began looking into it over the last couple of weeks, is how profoundly biblical the concept of boundaries is and how the reason we are in the mess we are is because we have just dismissed this concept. We don't even see it as a, as a godly or Christian concept. We, we, it's like we think you, you can't say no. You can't put any kind of boundary on anything, right? Most of us in our stressed out lives and our struggling relationships, we know we need a boundary. We should have one. But if we're honest, see, I don't even like... I don't know if this is a triggering event for you. I don't even like talking about boundaries. I don't like saying no to anybody, which if you know me is true, I don't like saying no. Um, some of us don't like talking about boundaries because they've been used against us in hurtful ways, right? People have put up boundaries not just to protect themselves, but almost punitively, right, to, to try to hurt us or to punish us. For others, this is one that I struggle with. Oftentimes, people use boundaries as a, a means to shirk responsibilities. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? I was, uh, when I, in my prior life, when I used to lead a team at, at the bank, I, I had a group of young guys fresh out of college working for me. And it was a, a young guy who was 21 years old, sat across from me. And uh, when you start your career in finance, it's kind of known in the corporate world that the finance field, especially when they put young people to work, there, there are no boundaries. Like, you work like dogs, right? Like dogs. And so they're like, it's like a competition to see who could stay the latest, right? And so the guy across from me, I, it's, you know, he's working for me. It's 4.58. It's 4.59. 5 o'clock. 
Boom, I hear his briefcase closed, lock, and he gets up. And I said, Doug, where are you going? He goes, five o'clock, John, family first. I looked at him, I'm like, dude, you're 21, you live with your mom and play video games when you get home. I, I don't understand what you're talking about, right? And so he was using like a cool thing, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna put my family first. He didn't even have one. But he was just using, he was creating a false boundary, right, to just shirk his responsibilities. Anyway, right, I think for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we want to walk in the ways of Jesus so much. We want to be these people full of love and grace and mercy and acceptance. And oftentimes, especially when it comes to setting boundaries in relationships, it can seem unbiblical to do so. My goal this morning, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into the various boundaries we need to set in our lives, right? We're going to talk about all the tough topics, I hope. But this morning is, this is so foundational, this morning's purpose is to convince you that for Christians, bound, for those that want to be like Jesus, right, boundaries are not, not only not unbiblical, they are absolutely essential. Here's the basic premise for the whole series. How do you know if you have a boundary problem in your life? Simple. It's just like my backyard. You have a problem everywhere in your life where chaos and disorder reign. You likely have a boundary problem. My neighbor and I, we have the DMZ, right? There is a boundary problem there. It is not a safe place. It's a mess. Nobody's taking responsibility for it. Somebody should. It is somebody's responsibility. We're just not sure whose, right? Nobody's claiming it. The boundaries are all messed up. They're improperly set, misplaced, which is going to lead us to a definition this morning of boundaries. I like the one Henry Cloud and John Townsend in their book, Boundaries Used, I don't know, you all know that book by, uh, by Cloud, Henry Cloud and, and John Townsend? It's, it's a super popular book. I'm going to be leaning into it a lot over the coming weeks. It has sold four million copies. This will give you a hint that we struggle with boundary problems, right? There's actually uh, another um, book that came out, I think, last year by Lisa Turkhurst called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. Another fantastic, more current resource for those of you that want to do a little bit of homework. So what is a boundary? Well, you know me. I've never, I've never had a, uh, a good prop that I didn't want to use to set it up. So what is a good boundary? Well, here we go. This will be our little kind of like uh, play toy over the next few weeks. A good boundary is, is simply this, right? It's a fence. It's a, it's, it's a line. It, it kind of, it, it, it marks, it defines, it separates what's mine and what's yours in every area. What's my responsibility? What's your responsibility? What is my stuff and what is your stuff? A boundary keeps my stuff stay safe right, from others. It keeps the bad things out, the things that I don't want to impact my heart and my soul. Remember, we, we were reading Proverbs together all summer, right? Do you remember, above all else, Solomon said to his son, above everything else I've told you, there's one thing that's super important, guard your heart. Boundaries help us to guard our hearts. They keep the good stuff in and the bad stuff out, right? What we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks is what happens when we have boundary problems in our lives. We're going to start next week, and probably for a couple weeks, with relationships, because those are the hardest. But then we're going to move on to things like time and kids and money, you name it. Boundary problems arise, especially in relationships, when people violate boundaries. 
Sometimes it's me that violates the boundary and goes over into your yard, and sometimes it's you that violates the boundary and comes in my yard. Sometimes my neighbor has a tree that drops all of its crud in my yard. He's responsible for it, but somehow it keeps becoming my problem, right? Or when I begin to go take responsibility for the stuff that's supposed to be being, getting done by my neighbor. God, put quite simply, God is a God of boundaries, and his people, made in his image, are called to be like him. Let me show you what I mean. You see boundaries before the dawn of creation in the scriptures. Give you a little theology here, okay? God is eternal. He has always existed. But we be what we believe is that God exists in what we call a Trinitarian form, right? God exists eternally in three co-equal persons, right? God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. And yet, those three persons in the Trinity have very different roles and responsibilities. In a sense, there are bounds in which they play their roles, you see it in creation. The, the psalmist said, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So what is God's role in creation? God the Father spoke the creative word to bring it into existence. Jesus, John's disciple, walked, walked with Jesus. Here's what he said about the Jesus he knew. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. It was Jesus the Son who carries out the decrees of creation by the Father. And then you see in the creation story the presence and the role of the Holy Spirit. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In some way, the Holy Spirit is apparently sustaining and manifesting God's presence in his creations. Three distinct persons... Three distinct responsibilities. By the way, you see this in terms of our salvation, if you want to look at theologically. God plays a role in sending the Son. The Son accepts the responsibility for, for, from the Father, right? And comes and dies to take our sins away. And then said, the Son himself says, it's better if I leave because then the Holy Spirit will come. Distinct personhood. Distinct responsibilities. You see boundaries in the Godhead. You see boundaries in his creation. And God says, go through the creative story. Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He separated the light from the darkness. There is a boundary that exists that you experience every day between the light and the dark. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. Separation. The story continues. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. From the dawn of creation, God is a God of order. He has been separating things, creating boundaries between one thing and one and another, one purpose and another, one responsibility and another. You see it when he calls the Israelites to be his own people. He separates the Israelites. He calls them out to be a people unto himself. He calls them to separate from the other nations. He wants them to look different, to live in a peculiar way before others. Super interesting statement in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, spoken by God regarding the boundaries and creation. God said, I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross, 
The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. There is imagery involved in this statement. Because in the Bible, the sea always represents something. It's the first image given in the Bible, actually, is that the Holy Spirit, I read it to you, is hovering over this chaotic, formless water. In the scriptures, the sea is often used to convey a state of uncreation, a, a state of disorder. It's uninhabitable, unwelcoming. Oftentimes, the sea doesn't just, just um, reflect chaos, it, it, it reflects evil. Interestingly enough, it's a super fascinating study. I don't, I literally, you could preach a sermon on it. In the new creation, God's going to bring about a reunification of the waters in the peace and security of the river of life, water contained within proper boundaries. Super cool stuff. Again, what's my point? Where chaos and evil abound in your life, it is usually where there is a lack of boundaries. It's not just in the, in the Trinity, it's in the creation. It's built into human purpose and design to live within certain boundaries. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God gave us things to rule over, right? A purpose. We had a specific role to play in creation, just like the Trinity itself. We had a job that we were given, things that we were to do. And there were things that we were not to do, right? There was a boundary set up in the garden. What was the very specific boundary? And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Stick with me. Super interesting. Maybe the most interesting point this morning. Super interesting about the concept, the biblical concept of boundaries. This is the first recorded conversation between God and man. Think of all of the things that if I was going to say to you, what do you think, God? What would be the first thing that God would say to his creation? What's the first, the first words between man and God? I mean, I, I think if you didn't know, you'd probably say, well, I think he would say something about how much he loves him, right? But it wasn't. His first conversation with the creation he loved was about boundaries. But what I think you're going to see in this series over the next couple of weeks is, right, in order for love to be possible, right, love exists where good boundaries are given and respected and are in place. You are free, God says to him. You are free. Think about what boundaries do for you. Boundaries exist and they are given. It is so counterintuitive, okay? The whole world is fighting against boundaries because they want to be free. But the reality is it is in boundaries that we find our freedom. Boundaries promote freedom. Good boundaries are what actually promote love and safety and security and freedom in our lives. You ever rented a jet ski down the shore? I don't know if you have. If, if you have, one of the things, the first things they tell you is, okay, you can go out here, right? Um, and it, I'm just thinking about the, in Ocean City, Maryland, where I rent them all the time, the bay out there is called the Big Ass Woman Bay, which is a story for another day. It's a f funny name. But you can go out there in the Big Ass Woman, but you got to keep the, the jet ski within those flags. And so, you know, if you're me, because I'm always pushing boundaries, I'm like, well, why do I, what happens if I go outside of there? 
He goes, well, number one, I'm going to come out and get you and take your jet ski away. He said, and number two, he goes, there are sand, sandbars everywhere out there. He said, if you go outside of, of these flags, he goes, you're likely to be going 50 miles an hour, hit a sandbar, and go flying and kill yourself. So if you stay in the boundaries, you could go as fast as you want, have as much fun as you want. Don't go outside the boundaries. You know why? Because you might die. See, that's what good boundaries do. Imagine Adam's life in the garden if God doesn't give him boundaries. If Adam's just sitting there, imagine Adam walking around the garden like, you know, it's like a minefield. Like, can I step here? Can I go there? Adam's hungry. He's looking around. Can I eat of that tree? Is that, like, is that safe to eat? Is, is it not safe to eat? Boundaries are what gave Adam his freedom. Boundaries are what, how we experience the love of God, right? It prevents him. Constant fear and, wor and, and worry, right? That, that's chaos and disorder. One thing I remember when I was raising my kids, and we'll talk about, I think, kids in a coming, we struggle with boundaries with our kids, incrementally so. Interesting study done on school children, focused on the family, used to pr promote it all the time. Educators uh, in California decided that they were going to remove the chain link fence from around a school playground, right? This was back in the 70s. And, and, and the thought was that the fences, right, promoted these feelings of confinement and, and restraint. So they pulled them down because they wanted the children to, to be able to run free and not, not have to deal with it. And do you know what they discovered once they pulled all of the fences from around the playgrounds down? The children all just huddled right at the center of the playground. They didn't know where it was safe to go anymore. Conclusion, children need boundaries. Conclusion, Christians, human beings need boundaries. Second interesting thing in the story, there was in the garden only one boundary. Did you catch that? Just one. You can eat of any tree in the garden. This is all yours. Just stay in here. It's all yours there's just this one tree over here that's not yours. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's mine. All of this is your stuff, Adam. I made, I made it all for you. It's all your responsibility, right? Because good boundaries define who's responsible for what. This is all yours. It's your responsibility. You take care of it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is my responsibility. I take care of that. That's my thing. It's not your thing. It is God's responsibility to determine, to define for man what is good and what is evil, what is right and what, what, what's wrong. Which when seen through the proper lens, what you realize is, right, when sin enters the world, the brokenness of our entire world, all of the raping and pillaging and murder and war, all comes from a boundary issue. Adam not content to stay within his own bounds, started looking into his neighbor's yard and deciding, I, I'm going to take that too. He had a boundary problem, right? How many messes have you made in your life by doing that exact same thing? Oh, I can help. You're not really, you know, I know you, I know you don't really know what you're doing. Let me come over there and, and show you. You don't seem to be doing well in your life. Let me come and rescue you. Yeah, here's another interesting thing about boundaries. Boundaries, they exist for our freedom, but not just for our freedom, they exist for our safety. Why does God create this boundary for Adam? Because he loves Adam. He wants to keep Adam from dying. 
God knows what's going to happen if Adam eats of the tree. All of the pain and the evil and the hurt and brokenness in our world, it all exists because of the boundary violation. And that's the thing about boundaries, okay? This is why we don't like them, but you have to remember, any boundary that you put in place that is a God-honoring boundary is not a punitive boundary. God does not set up boundaries in our lives to punish us. God was not using boundaries to hold Adam back, to keep him down. He wasn't holding out on him. He wasn't punishing him with the boundary. You may have experienced that in your life. You're never going to see your grandchildren again. That's the boundary I'm setting. That's a punitive, oftentimes a punitive boundary, right? But that is not a God boundary. God uses boundaries to promote freedom and safety and security and life. They are for our good. And when we set proper God-honoring boundaries in place, they do that same thing for us and for others. Another interesting concept. In, in the scriptures, there's one boundary. And when the boundary was violated, when Adam steps out of his yard into his neighbor's yard, into God's yard, and he starts messing around with God's responsibility. You know what Adam created, don't you? A little DMZ, a little DMZ, right? He created chaos. And chaos begins to reign in the world. This is his experience on a daily basis. And so chaos, when Adam trespasses, interesting word, right? When Adam trespasses the boundary and he goes in and he begins messing around with something that's not his responsibility, violating, violating God's boundary, chaos begins to reign. Sin begins to reign. And it begins to spin out of control. And shortly after that, there's not one boundary. There's 10. And shortly after the 10, there's not 10, there's 600 plus. Because where sin abounds, where brokenness abounds, boundaries are incrementally required for safety, security, and life, and freedom. And so you need to begin to see that in your own lives. In the places where chaos is increasing, it is likely boundaries need to be increasing. And of course, we're gonna talk about this a little bit next week. If boundaries are gonna be effective, Boundaries are going to have to have consequences that are associated with them. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. However, think about the consequence. Has anybody ever thought this through? Why was the consequence death? Was it purely punitive? Or was it that the consequence for breaking the boundaries was put in place because God loved Adam so much he didn't want him to exist and all of us to exist perpetually in, in, in horrendous chaos and brokenness. The consequence was there, in a sense, to provide an opportunity for redemption. Without the consequence, that opportunity didn't exist. And so this is the journey we're going to be on in the coming weeks. Next week, we're going to pick it up with perhaps the hardest kind of boundary, um, boundaries in our relationships, especially for Christians, because it's just hard for us. We, we want to love, and we want to have grace, and we want to forgive, and, and, and we need to have all those things. But that doesn't mean there's not boundaries in our relationships. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, right? And he said um, to, the, to excuse me, the Galatians, he said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We, re we, we read that, right? And we think if we're honest... I mean, imagine coming to church today. Last week I told you, right, what hangs in the balance and, and you need to give your life to this church. Well, I don't have time. You know why you don't have time? Because 
you, you got improper boundaries set. And you come to this church this week, and Pastor John goes, oh, and by the way, the Bible says, carry each other's burdens. And this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And I mean, if you're just a living, breathing human being, you got to go, come on, dude, I can't even carry my own burden. <laughs> like, I'm barely getting by. You want me to take on somebody else's burden, carry somebody else's burden? My life is a mess already. I don't need their net mess. Well, next week, we're going to get to what that verse actually means. There's actually, just within a couple, a couple words, a boundary placed on that. Did you know that? It's not just like, oh, yeah, you're responsible for everybody else's problems. Go take everybody's problems on. That's not what that verse says. We're going to get to it next week. So for any of you rescuers out there, any rescuers, I can save him. Feel like you're overburdened with the weight of dysfunction and the responsibility of others, people who, who just let their leaves fall in your yard. Maybe you keep winding up in somebody else's place, taking on their responsibilities. Next week is going to be for you. But in the meantime... In the meantime, before we get there, know this. God is not a God of chaos. Our lives are not supposed to be the way that most of us live them, spinning out of control. The natural law of the universe, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a law called entropy, and it essentially states that all things are tending in the universe towards disorder. Nothing moves towards order. Everything moves towards disorder. More specifically, the second law of thermodynamics states, as one goes forward in time, the net entropy, the de degree of disorder of any isolated or closed system will always increase. But that is not the story of our God. The one I shared with you this morning, that's not who God is. In fact, it's one of the great arguments of, of, of creative design. This is not the way the world would naturally work if there wasn't a creator. So here's your homework. Just a couple of moments of reflection, which I know you go, oh, for heaven's sakes, I don't have any time for moments of reflection. A couple of moments of reflection this week. Where in your life does disorder just reign? Just reign. You look and you go, oh my gosh, what a mess. What a mess. Where have things with your time, your money, your emotions, your en energy, specifically for the next week or two, your relationships, where is disorder reigning? And then I want you to ask yourself a very honest question. Do a little self-inventory. The scriptures say you should examine yourself. Do I have a chaos problem? Or is the truth this? I have a boundary problem. Because God who made you in his image, the reality is, the truth is, He's a, God of, he's a God of boundaries, and he wants his people to be made in that image too. Let's stand and close this long.